Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Terrence Williams did not look like he took any steps forward in any sort of development this year. Devin Street has been almost non-existent. Cole Beasley has been uh, hot and cold. But at this point, Greg Hardy is still the only proven edge-rushing threat on the Cowboys roster uh, because Lawrence... I can't call him proven yet. I appreciate his newfound production. All right, all right, all right. You are now rocking with the best, and Cowboys Crunch Time is back at you. I am your host. Mr. K.D. Drummond, thank you so much for joining us here today. We have an outstanding show planned for you. We are going to talk about the latest and greatest in the coaching carousel of the NFL with Mr. Ryan Burns. We are going to chop up with our good friend Joey Ice about the biggest disappointments and reasons for hope from the 2015 season. And then we are also going to talk about the defensive needs of the Cowboys entering the offseason with the one and only Keith Mullen. And of course, no Cowboys crunch time would be complete without the Valley Ranch musings of the one and only Cowboys insider, Mike Fisher. Now, in Cowboys Nation, there is a lot of stuff going on. Uh, there's big news that the Cowboys have announced that Des Bryant is going on IR. He hasn't been playing, so, you know, there's not really anything to shake a stick at or be surprised at. But, again, it is big news because they're shutting him down. And we'll talk to Fish about the reasons why, as well as other stuff. But down the road from me, up I-95, in our division, the Philadelphia Eagles have fired head coach Chip Kelly. And that happened this week as we are all sitting around watching bowl games and wondering who is a better fit for the Cowboys' future quarterbacking, whether it's Jared Goff and his performance against Air Force or Paxton Lynch and his performance for Memphis. We're getting a view, a small window into what these guys can do. One game never trumps a season worth of tape. So I warn people to always watch bowl games with a grain of salt. It is a weird position to give somebody a month to prepare for an opponent. Uh, sometimes it works out to the benefit of the player. Sometimes it doesn't because um, the defense is having a month to prepare for that quarterback as well. So keep all of that in mind as you're reviewing these performances. But all in all, it's an exciting time for Cowboys fans because we have so much to look forward to in the offseason. Being 4-11, soon to be 4-12, is much different for the Cowboys because they're on the heels of being 12-4 and last year. And you know with the right ingredients and the right mixture of things that the Cowboys will have no problem 
turning things around. It's not all on the fact that they missed Tony Romo, but that is a large part of why they have sunk to this malaise that is the 2015 season. So what we're going to do, we're going to line up all of our ducks in a row. We're going to get these guests on this show, and we're going to bang out the outline of how things are going to be moving forward. So take a seat, get comfy, crack your beer, whatever you're doing over this holiday season, and make sure you stay right here with Cowboys Crunch Time. After this brief brief musical interlude, we're going to get right into it. segment of the show it is time for the one and only hook line and sinker with the fish cowboys insider mike fisher joins us here obviously you need to be following him on twitter at fish sports fish how are you doing my man well considering the the uh, situation that the cowboys are in as busy as ever yeah it, it's it's pretty crazy we always talk about covering the cowboys is a 365 type of job. There is never a dull moment. And even at 4 and 11, there is a lot going on with the Cowboys. Let's start it off with the inside information from Valley Ranch. The Cowboys have put several players on season ending IR in advance of week 17. Talk to me about the big name on that list. Yeah. And of course, Des Bryant uh, headlines that group. He'll go on IR. We already knew that Barry Church was going to go there. Uh, Church told me on uh, Sunday afternoon in Buffalo, yeah, I broke my arm. Uh, no surgery for him. Uh, David Irving broke his wrist, so he goes to IR2, and now the biggie, Des Bryant. And this is semi-predictable. There, there's a part of this that really is hashtag organic tanking because I firmly believe that if the Cowboys had a playoff game this Sunday, Des Bryant would play it. I absolutely believe in that. Um, but he has struggled his way through games since trying to come back uh, from the metatarsal bone in his foot. I, I think I think that if if you and Joey Ike's film review of the last few weeks when Des played, I bet you you could see him not running certain routes routes because it's on delivery. I I I bet you that that's a story behind the story. So Des wasn't able to be Des. Uh, now he goes to IR and has the Cowboys uh, are saying was a semi scheduled. Anyway, redo of the surgery on his foot. Now, I talked to Dr. David Chow, uh, former Chargers team doctor, of course. You know him on Twitter. And he says, yeah, you know, I think 20% of the time there's a redo, but that means 80% of the time there's not. So it might have been semi-suspected. It's not especially alarm, but you certainly can't call uh, a redo surgery with a bone graft on your foot a minor surgery. It is not that. And, KD, I, I will suggest that if does does this thing right, and the surgery goes And then uh, I, I had one medical expert tell me six months rest and rehab, six months. Mm. But the Cowboys are prepared to say, we'll see him in April. Well, let's see, January, February, March, April. That's four months. 
I, I'm not convinced that that is a very good idea. And I think the biggest concern here is that uh, Dez is going to take that boot off after the surgery and go hoverboard or something silly uh, or or want to push too aggressively in getting back on the field or want to go shoot baskets. And, and my guy tells me none of that for six months. So we'll see how that debate goes down. Then there is also the the literally minor surgery, all things being relative, but I think there's bone spurs in the ankle and they'll take care of that too. And that's very commonplace. The broken fifth natural redo is not uncommon, but that doesn't mean it's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, definitely something to look forward to or to, to keep an eye on, I should say, as we move forward through this offseason. Now, there's obviously another very major broken bone that's been at the centerpiece of Cowboys discussion all season. And I saw something that indicated Tony Romo is considering, I guess, putting a plate in his collarbone to to secure that bone moving forward. Uh, give me Give me the scoop on that. I think there's a misunderstanding here. I, I okay. think that the idea of putting a plate in Romo's collarbone is is a media-driven idea. I think he okay. was asked about it on a radio show, and then he kind of politely answered, yeah, you know, I guess, maybe. But uh, the Cowboys say no. Okay. The medical people say no. That that the only time you do that is – the only time you put a, a metal plate in there in the collarbone is if there's some horrifying lack of recovery. And – there's no sign of that, and there's plenty of time to recover, so it shouldn't be that. Jerry Jones is on record saying, no, I don't think there's a plate. And I to Dr. Chow again. I asked Dr. Chow this uh, uh, about six weeks ago on 105.3 The Fan, and we were joking around, and we basically came to the shared conclusion that, you know, you you, you could put a uh, lead piping in there, and it, it wouldn't make any difference. The, the bone itself... <laughs> in a collarbone has to heal. You can put soil pipe around it and that's not going to make any difference. The bone has to heal and there's no indication that it's not healing properly. So uh, if, if, if all things go right, you know, this is a, a tiny, tiny little teardrop of optimism, but uh, the 2016 Cowboys with a healthy Des Bryant, a healthy Tony Romo, and then Orlando Skandrick, who I, I talked to, you know, a couple times a week, who's at Barry Ranch and working his tail off get those three guys back healthy, and I will go on record right now as predicting the Cowboys will win the NFC East in 2016. And there it is. And obviously that is with the idea that head coach Jason Garrett will be in place. We know Black Monday is coming after the season, but nothing has changed about the stance that we have taken for the majority of the season, that even though the Cowboys are not performing well, Jason Garrett is far from losing this team. They have not given up on him and any of those things that are normally associated with making a change, uh, a coaching change for a team that has one disappointing season. Uh, for all you here at Valley Ranch, that's correct. Jason Garrett has no concerns, correct? Mike Florio has a job to do. Uh, he he published a story on ProFootballTalk.com at 4.34 p.m. on Sunday, about three seconds after the Cowboys lost to the Bills with official. He clearly had that story pre-written. It wasn't pre-researched. Uh, he didn't interview anybody. He didn't ask anybody. Um, but it was pre-written, and then he pushed the send button, and it was a, you know, it was a, a gut cut on Jones. It was a gut cut on Garrett. It was a gut cut on the Cowboys, and that's what the national media gets to do and say, hey, uh, we get to do it too if we want to. And there's plenty of real negative things to talk about when it comes to the four and eleven Cowboys. But firing Jason Garrett 
keeping in mind, of course, that we're always carrying that Never Say Never membership card. Never say never, but is that the plan of anybody in this building? Instead of going to profootballtalk.com for my cowboy information, I go to Scott Linehan. <laughs> I go to Rod Marinelli, and I went to Linehan and asked him about you know playing hard for the head coach, and he said we, we, that's never been an issue here. This team prepares and practices and plays its butt off. Uh, we're just not winning enough games, and that goes for the coaches too. We're not executing coaches, players, the whole thing. Then I went to, to Rod Marinelli, who doesn't have an ounce of bullshit in him, and I asked him the same question, and he said, I'm going to tell you something. This football team this year, nobody in the NFL plays harder than the 2015 Dallas Cowboys. Now, again, that's a no-bullshit guy, Rod Marinelli. That, that, he doesn't have to issue me some platitude. Why, why bother? He, he told me what he believes is the truth, and look at all the film he watches, that nobody in the NFL plays harder than Jason Garrett's Cowboys. Now, that's not enough, but it sure is the foundation. And it, I, I, if Jerry Jones ever asked me, I would tell him, don't listen to Mike Florio. Go ask Rod Marinelli and Scott Linehan what they think of the way this head coach leads men. Uh, do they do they make uh, clock management mistakes? I, yeah. Uh, have they made personnel errors? Oh, at quarterback, my gosh. Has uh, the coaching staff been just as poor as the on-field people have, especially, obviously, uh, post-Romo and Bryant injury? When, If you remember before those injuries, this team was 2-0, and and they were going to run away with the NFC East, and they really were. Yeah, flaws all up and down. But the foundational thing that you have to have when you're deciding who can coach is, will players play for him? Decision has been made here every single Sunday for 16 straight Sundays. And there it is, the one and only Cowboys insider Mike Fisher giving us the inside scoop on all things important to Week 17. Jason Garrett does appear to be remaining. Thank you, Fish. We're going to chop it up again with you real soon on the other side, starting the offseason next week. much 
similar to what two of the other three quarterbacks have brought us, and that is a lackluster offense that looks inept without their field general, Tony Romo. I think that for anybody that is not on the Tony Romo bandwagon, nothing can be more clear of his importance and his the quality of his play than how the team has performed without him. And unfortunately, this realization over the last year and a half is coming now in what could be the tail end of his career, as we now have to seriously consider his injury history as far as what he is going to be able to do moving forward. So for me, the disappointment or the biggest disappointment in the 2015 season was that the Cowboys were ill-equipped to handle losing Tony Romo for an extended period of time when the warning signals have been there for the last couple of years that they needed to do better than their solution of Brandon Wheat. I turn the microphone over to you, Mr. Ikes, and ask, what is one of your biggest disappointments of the 2015 season? I think the uh, the biggest disappointment for me has been the wide receiver play. And it, it's uh, it's hard to uh, pull of a guy like Des Bryant, who we find out today is going to have another bone graft surgery to kind of help the, the healing process of the foot and have a scope likely on the ankle. Uh, and so he's on IR. And so it's, uh, it's tough to be too critical of him knowing what he was fighting through for the entirety of the season, really. Um, after the holdout with, from the off season and training camp injury and this and that, and it, it just, it's another one of those situations with Des where it's like most of the rest of the team where you just have to consider it a lost season and move forward from here and hope that 2016 could be better. Um, but the rest of the wide receivers, I mean, uh, Terrence Williams did not look like he took any steps forward in any sort of development this year. Devin Street has been almost non-existent. Cole Beasley has been uh, hot and cold, and uh, a part of that is he's open and the quarterbacks aren't targeting him, whether they're not getting to him in the progression or they don't see him, which is a possibility, or they're just not on the same page as far as all the option routes and stuff that he's running. <clears throat> but uh, there really just seemed like for most of the year, the wide receiver core was just so just kind of nah. Right. <laughs> just uh, there's like you look at teams like like there's just really no real good word to describe it. Like you watch a team like Arizona or like Pittsburgh or one of those teams play, and you got Martavis Bryant and Antonio Brown and Marcus Wheaton running around out there. John Brown and Larry Fitzgerald and Michael Floyd and and you just look around at these teams and you're going, well, holy crap! That's and these guys are scoring points like crazy on people, and uh, and sure, those guys have two of the top six or seven quarterbacks in the league. One of them's up probably in consideration for an MVP in Carson Palmer, and, and so there's there's a lot of circumstances associated with that. But to have a number two wide receiver of the caliber of Marcus uh, or of Martavis Bryant and a number three, the explosive caliber of Marcus Wheaton. And then you look at Arizona, it's the same situation. I mean, there's just no just juice. There's no explosiveness. There's no separation there. There's just so much of that that's missing from this Dallas wide receiver core um, that Last year, it didn't make that much of a difference because they were handing the ball off 30 times a game, throwing it to Dez eight to ten times a game, and throwing it to Witten. Witten and Beasley were combining for another 10 to 12 targets a game. And so that other wide receiver, Terrence Williams, was getting, I don't know, two, three, four targets a game, and he scored eight touchdowns because of the way that it was set up. But 
they there's just no explosiveness from that the rest of that wide receiver core. Uh, and so there's a lot of people talking about – there's people that have asked me about, well, do you go out and you try to sign Alshon Jeffery? Do you go try to draft a guy like Treadwell or, and somebody like that? And I think that you have to address the wide receiver position in some shape or form in the offseason, and you have to do it seeking some sort of explosiveness. And we've seen Bryce Butler have, have two good games um, – got himself hurt, missed a lot of time. We saw Stephen Jones throw the throw the Metro bus on top of him as he uh, talked after the game about how we need him to come to practice every day, and we know he's a talented guy, but he needs to come to work every day, and that's definitely <laughs> that's not the type of endorsement you want from the, uh, from the COO uh, coming right. on the best game of your career as a Cowboy. Uh, so it's hesitant to anoint him as the wide receiver two of the future, uh, but – you just got to have better from your wide receivers. You lose your best wide receiver, it's understandable, but you can't have your guys just absolutely disappear for stretches of game. The entire wide receiver core disappeared for multiple games, and it was it's just uh, it, it was not pretty, and it led to the ineptitude that we've seen in this offense for sure. It's very easy to the ineptitude. It's very easy to heap that responsibility on the quarterbacks and their shortcomings, uh, but the wide receivers do have a lot to do with that. Um, you know, it, there, there's very, very much can be said about the fact that the wide receivers that Dallas have has outside of Des Bryant are the guys that you kind of need to throw open and that the the quarterbacks that we were going with outside of Tony Romo did not have the anticipation to make those throws and to throw those guys open. When you get to that point, the receivers just simply have to do more. They have to run crisper routes. They have to, you know, make make more decisive moves. Uh, they they have to do things to elevate their game the same way that the quarterback needs to elevate his game. Uh, it's very foolish to put the blame of the lackluster nature of this offense on simply one person. So everybody has to take the blame for that. And I, I agree completely that the wide receivers did not step up, and that includes Dez. I mean, when Dez was in there, he obviously claimed that he was healthy and he wasn't. Uh, but we all saw the game where he's jumping to catch passes because Castle's so erratic, he has no idea where the pass is going to go. I mean, Dez dropped a lot of passes this year that you – he's never been somebody that would go, you know, five, six games without a, a drop. But it was ridiculous this year what he did. So, in general, including Dez, I think all the wide receivers uh, definitely took a step back from what we would expect to see from them. Uh, what else outside of the receivers do you think uh, – did you expect more of in 2015? I think I expected more from J.J. Wilcox this year. I think that uh, that coming off of the way he played last year and then looking towards this season, and then he played well in the first week or two of the year – and then it was like everything just completely dropped off the table on him. And some, you see him run and pursue plays, and you look at the angles that he takes, and, and they must not teach geometry at Georgia Southern. And, and <laughs> you, just, you just have to wonder sometimes what he's seeing whenever he's playing. And then he comes downhill, and he's out of control, and he's overrunning plays, and dropping his head and just trying to knock guys over with the shoulder. And, and, and I was – I've been looking for a safety for this team for a long time. I think we found one in, in Byron Jones. 
they're playing in there, which is extremely exciting and, and those sorts of things. But I was hopeful that J.J. Wilcox could develop into that guy, whether it was the free safety role or whether he comes down and plays in the box as a more athletic version of the role that Barry Church has played for, for several years here once they found a new a new free safety. But I'm at the point where I just don't trust J.J. Wilcox on my defense at all. And it's whether it's coverage, whether it's pursuit, tackling, I, I just don't trust him at all. And it doesn't seem as though the, the team really does to all that much of an extent either. Uh, so no, they don't. I think that he, he's been extremely disappointing. I mean, I, I kind of broke down on Twitter a little bit the, the 55-yard Mike Gillisley touchdown run. And uh, they were in a two-deep shell against six offensive linemen and two running backs. Uh, which is somewhat mysterious to me. Uh, but they were in a two-deep shell. The the way the formation was set up from Buffalo, it was basically telegraphed it was going to be a run to the, to Buffalo's right side. Uh, Byron Jones, does, he's slow to fill the angle because he's retreating into coverage early, uh, because he's trying to disguise his coverage at the snap. So he's late to fill the alley, so Gillisley bounces it outside. But – the angle that that J.J. Wilcox took on the play, it was unbelievable. He, like, runs downhill. At a, it's really hard to explain without a visual. But basically, he, he basically ran a circle almost where he, he ran downhill and then got to the point where instead of pursuing across the field like he should have from his safety position on the other deep half, he was pursuing from behind Gillisley because that's how – aggressive and crazy of an angle he had taken uh, to try to get across the field to make the play. So you just wonder again, what, what in the world is he seeing whenever he's playing? And we're going to get a chance to see him this week more than likely play that strong safety role with, with Byron Jones at free safety with Barry church going on IR. So we'll see if it gets better when he's kind of playing that pure role. And that's kind of all he has to focus on. But uh, at this point, it's extremely hard to say, well, I'm going to look forward to him being a significant part of my defense in 2016. And, of course, we're here putting the uh, finishing touches on the 2015 season for the Dallas Cowboys with the one and only Joey Ikes. Make sure you are following him on Twitter, at Joey Ikes. That's J-O-E-Y-I-C-K-E-S. Give him a follow immediately, and you will not be disappointed with his X's and O's knowledge. We cannot end this on a sour note, despite the fact that the Cowboys are trying to, you know, for our, our intents and purposes, uh, trying to end the season on a sour note and get the best draft pick possible. Uh, but I need to, t- I need you to give me something, some kind of hope that despite the the way that the season ended, there was something that you saw that kind of surprised you, warmed your heart, gave you all good kind of touchy feelings, however you want to frame it, but something that you were excited about happening in 2015 that maybe you didn't see coming. Well, I don't know if it was necessarily a surprise as much as it is something that's very encouraging looking forward, and that's the development of the pass rush. Um, and that the, these last few games, that group has been extremely disrupted, and led by Demarcus Lawrence, who we talk, we've talked all off season and all throughout the season about the struggles of rookie pass rushers and how guys who manage to play eight games or more in their rookie years average about 2.8 sacks a year, and and those sorts of things, and magically, in DeMarcus Lawrence's 17th game of his career in the regular season, he starts a streak of having now, I believe, it's seven sacks in seven games. 
And he went one game without a sack, got two in another one. But he now has seven sacks in seven games, which is elite-level pass rusher production. You you stretch that out over a 16-game season, and that's 16 sacks. That's Again, that's elite top 10-type production from a pass rusher. Uh, so for him to be putting up numbers, finishing those plays, and he's been close a lot of other times, uh, is, is very encouraging. Randy Gregory's been better on the rush. He hasn't gotten any sacks, um, as, as he's so eloquently tweeted about. Uh, but he's been encouraging. Tyrone Crawford's been disruptive, although he's playing with one shoulder, so it, it's really it's hard to ask much of a guy who's supposed to be playing with his hands and playing with power and being disruptive like that uh, when he's playing with one arm. But And then Craig Hardy's been disruptive. He's had a lot to do with the production that these other guys have been able to get. Um, so I think it's been very encouraging, the fact that they've gotten in the neighborhood of two to three or more sacks of the last several games, which you average that out over 16 games, two to three sacks a game is in that 40 sack. If you average two and a half sacks a game, you get 40 sacks which is kind of the threshold that you want to look at to be a really successful pass rush and have a chance to make a run in the playoffs. So so they're at that point uh, in terms of rushing the passer, and it is going to be encouraging to see if maybe five or six games into next year, Randy Gregory might be able to take that same step that Demarcus Lawrence took this year and really develop into a, a disruptive force who can really uh, finish plays and be uh, be a menace to opposing quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you with my enthusiasm or with your enthusiasm, I should say, about how the pass rush has looked over the last several games. I'm I'm just hesitant to crown it as anything more. Let, let me rephrase that. I'm hesitant to say that I feel that it's a surefire bet moving forward that this will continue and to extrapolate the numbers over the short term to being long term. Um, I guess I've become one of those guys that is, you know, prove it to me and then I'll believe you. Uh, But the way that the first half started, the struggles of getting sacks last year, I've basically seen a year and a half of a struggle of this team of getting sacks so how they perform down the stretch of this season hasn't convinced me that this is the way it's going to be moving forward. I'm hopeful, and there's I, I definitely agree with you about the potential for Demarcus Lawrence uh, of being that elite guy now that he has seemingly turned that corner. I'm just hesitant to take that small sample size and then say, well, this is what we plan for moving forward because off-season decisions will need to be made based on how they see this thing moving forward. And I don't know if we have enough evidence for the last six games to affect their outlook for what they do with this team. So that, that's just kind of my two cents on it, not to you know throw water on it, but I'm, I'm very cautious, as you know, about how this defense is performing and whether or not this is something that we can rely on moving forward. Uh, but before I let you go, um, and very quickly, I think you might have had one more thing that you were very pleased with in this sea of misery. So I want to get, on, get that on the record before I let you go for the day. Yeah, I think the, biggest, the, the other biggest thing for me is also on the defense, and that's the play of Byron Jones. Uh, of I mean, I could go a couple of different ways. Byron Jones has played incredibly well, had a little bit of a rough game the last couple of games uh, with not forcing the inside release and cover two at cornerback. I think that the, the bouncing back and forth from position to position every couple of games for the last six or eight weeks has 
has disrupted his development uh, a little bit over the course of the year and kind of made him play a little more slow, uh, a little slower, <laughs> if we say it right there. Uh, he made him play a little slower at both positions. And, and so I think that the fact that this past game, they basically said, all right, you're going to go play safety. We're going to play these other guys at corner because we view you as a safety in the future. And we want you to see as many snaps as possible from there. That's encouraging to me. Um, another direction you could go is the fact that um, we're about to see Sean Lee play something like 13 out of 16 games, which is uh, encouraging. He's going to finish the season for, I think, the first time in his career. He's going to play in week 17, although I could be mistaken. Um, and so it's it's very encouraging to see that, to see it. Yeah, he had the concussion things go on, but uh, but for him to be able to play as many games as he's played, uh, play as well as he's played for most of the year, uh, and be the type of tackling machine that we that we thought that he could be. There there haven't been as many big turnover type plays and stuff like that as we thought might come. But but I think that that's kind of a regression to the mean, bad luck, ball bounce in the wrong way kind of thing for the entire team. Uh, but I think that if you look at Byron Jones and Sean Lee on the defense, you have to feel encouraged about what could happen kind of up the middle of the defense uh, with the defensive line, the linebackers, and the safeties. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Joey Ice. Mr. Ice, we are ready to finally talk all season. Next week's show will be all off season planning. This is our time of the year. We love the football games, but we love to build the team even more. So we are definitely looking forward to having you back on next week and in the coming months as we prepare for the annual NFL draft. Let's do it. All right, sir. We'll talk again real soon. And we're back here on Cowboys Crunch Time with KD for one of our favorite segments. We are now joined by the one and the only Mr. Ryan Burns of the Football Sickness Podcast. Make sure you are following him on Twitter, at Football Sickness. That's at F-T-B-L Sickness. He has so much information, he doesn't even have time for vowels in the word football. That's how serious it is. Mr. Burns, how are you, sir? (laughs) Too kind, as always, KD. I'm good, and I hope you had a, a pleasant holiday. Oh, my, my holiday is great. I am on a mini vacation from my 9 to 5, and I'm spending time getting beat up by my children, which is, as any proud papa knows, the highlight of their entire existence, getting hit in the face by a one-year-old. So that's my life. But regardless, we still have plenty of football to talk about. Even as we are approaching week 17, my team is in the dumpster, your team is in the dumpster, but we still have the playoffs to look forward to and think of what could have been. The Cowboys are suffering. They're 4-11. and 11. We all know that they're competing with the Browns. The, the trajectory is very scary right now because both teams are in the dumpster and both teams have serious quarterback situations, although they're approaching it from two different angles. The Cowboys are looking for the heir apparent to Tony Romo, and the Browns are looking to figure out what they are going to do in general in a quarterback position that has been defunct. So before we get into the topic du jour of the day, Talk to me really quickly about how you see the Cleveland Browns quarterback situation playing out. Because obviously the Cowboys fans are interested in what's going on with Johnny Manziel. Well, and obviously the Cowboys owner who won't shut up about him is is pretty interested in what's going on with Johnny <laughs> Manziel. You know that does that does sort of add a, a funny little X factor into our discussions because I mean we have plenty of evidence that that Dallas, at least at the top, has some interest in Johnny Manziel. Should he become available? And obviously that's really the question. 
for the Browns. If you look at their situation, and this is, uh, you know, this is a damn near annual occurrence for me as I get to look at my team around week 17 and go, well, who are we going to hire and who's gone and who's back and all that. And, <laughs> and there's really, I have no idea what they're going to do this year. I mean, you can look at any number of reports from relatively uh, credible folks and, and you're going to hear that either Farmer is gone or you know, it's GM Ray Farmer or that head coach Mike Pettin is gone or that both are gone or that somehow, some way, neither would be gone. And, and quite honestly, as a close observer of the team, I could make what I think is a, an equally compelling case for any of those scenarios. So I don't honestly know what they're going to do. I do expect some change, but my, I guess my best guess, you know, gun to my head sort of, sort of speculation is that Jimmy Haslam desperately wants Johnny Manziel to succeed as his quarterback. Um, you know, I don't know this to be the case, but we have a little bit of evidence about, you know, it was sort of Haslam's call to, to get Manziel in there in the first place. I think if you left Ray Farmer to his devices, he's probably drafting either a Bridgewater or a Carr, and he's probably doing it up higher in that top, the top round of that draft. So to me, I think Haslam's commitment to Manziel is going to cause him to make whichever decisions he makes. That's what I think is going to happen. Um, I don't know that that means he ties the whole boat to Manziel, but I think whether someone is fired in the coaching positions or not, um, I think that decision is basically going to be made with Johnny Manziel in mind. So for now, that's what I expect. So if they fire everybody, all bets are off, and I would expect a new group to come in and want to take a quarterback early in that first round. But beyond that, I, I, I think Haslam loves Manziel and wants him to make it. Now, that dovetails so nicely into what I call the topic du jour of the day. Obviously, for Cowboys fans, they are uh, enjoying a little bit of schadenfreude that Chip Kelly has been released <laughs> from his contract in Philadelphia. But what's interesting is the idea that Chip Kelly never really had the quarterback to run the system that he wanted to run, the high pace, the zone read, read option, all of those kind of good things. Cleveland has that. So there was something on NFL radio this, that I heard this morning that kind of made my ears perk up. The idea that Chip Kelly could be interested or would be interested, I would say, I don't want to, you know, make any connections that haven't truly been made yet, but would be interested should both the front office and coaching position become available in Cleveland and sign on to have Johnny Manziel be the quarterback for that system that he has always dreamed of. Because of course, we know that Chip Kelly did try to recruit Johnny Manziel when he was at Oregon, so on and so forth. Would you see that as a fit for Cleveland? And based off of what you saw in Philadelphia, how scared are you that Chip Kelly could be your next coach? You know, it's a really interesting set of questions. Let, let's let's lay some context because they interviewed him, you know, the last time around, and they wanted him desperately. There were numerous mm -hmm. major NFL reporters confirming that that was basically a done deal at some point. Now, my personal yeah. view on all of this in retrospect is the Browns got played, used for leverage, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it would certainly not be the first time that that had occurred to this organization. But um, there are these things that you mentioned. We know that uh, Kelly has an affinity for Manziel um, that goes beyond just he recruited him to Oregon. I mean, he – I won't go so far as to, as to put him in the same group as Jerry Jones without frequently he talked about it. But he certainly – uh, you know, if you look at the draft process and you look at some of his comments in, in places where he didn't necessarily need to even be talking about Manziel, he did so. And so it's, it's interesting from that standpoint. And obviously that connection immediately 
came up yesterday among Brown's Twitter and, and Brown's beat reporters as a speculative option should should that job become available. Um, I'll tell you, I would be pretty okay with the idea if he's just the head coach. I am not at all about to do what Philly did and turn the whole operation over to him. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, I, at this point, I'm so down on my organization, you know, from the top down that I, I don't think there are a lot of things they could do that would sway me one direction or the other that that they were going to get it together. So if that makes sense, um, that probably gives you some idea of why Chip Kelly doesn't necessarily scare me. I mean, coming from where the Browns organization is coming from, um, a revolution with a lot of blood might be what's needed there. So uh, to me, uh, to me, that's, that's an idea. Look, if you're going to hire Chip Kelly, it seems to me having a Johnny Manziel on your roster, um, given some of the improvement that we've seen over the course of this season from the kid, I, you know, I can think of worse ideas. Uh, I guess I'm sort of, I guess, old school in favor of continuity, even though I'm not in love with Mike Pettin. I do like what the offensive staff has gotten basically as a whole out of a pretty crappy quarterback room, and uh, right. you know, I'm loath to break those sort of things up. So we'll, we'll see. But I guess I think Chip Kelly is, first of all, I don't know why the hell he'd want to come here other than, hey, we're going to give you the entire organization and a whole bunch of money. And I guess I think he's going to have a better coaching option than that, even if it doesn't give him the full power. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens for him. Uh, obviously, fans that uh, of Dallas in Dallas and of the Dallas Cowboys, we're pouring out a little liquor because we thoroughly enjoyed the high-paced <laughs> offense that left the defense ragged and dog-tired and panting and basically inept for the last month of the season. Uh, you know, oftentimes when you get into these battles with fans of other clubs, they, uh, they they assign you the position of being a hater and not really analyzing the situation. But a lot of people saw this coming for the Eagles this season, except for Eagles fans, which makes it that much sweeter than when Dallas is having <laughs> such a down year. They're miserable as well. So we're enjoying the hell out of that. But, yeah, I do think that Chip Kelly would need that kind of all-encompassing power that he was looking for in Philly in order to make a move to a team like Cleveland. But that might be the only opportunity because – not to talk badly about your organization and Jimmy Haslam, but better run organizations <laughs> are going to <laughs> better run organizations are going to have bigger question marks about um, the validity of Kelly as being the type of person that could run your entire team and would probably shy away from him. Uh, an yep. interesting facet of this is that some of the other openings around the league or expected openings all involve quarterbacks that could finally be what Kelly is looking for. We already know about the midseason firings in Tennessee and Miami. Tannehill and Mariota, obviously Mariota, could run this system. We don't know what's going to happen with Thomas Sula in San Francisco. Colin Kaepernick could be saved by Chip Kelly's type of system. There were rumors that if he had stayed in Philly, they would have reached out to try to acquire Kaepernick uh, this offseason. So all of this comes into play amidst the bigger picture of what's coming known as Black Monday. The Monday after the season is over, you often see a myriad of firings around the NFL. So really quickly, let's just go through some of the uh, divisions in football, and let's talk about who you think could have an opening come next week. Uh, we're already in the NFC East. We see the Philadelphia Eagles will have an opening. Obviously, Jay Gruden is safe. For, we'll talk to Mike Fisher a little bit later in the show, but I see absolutely no chance of Jason Garrett going anywhere for my Cowboys. But what about Tom Coughlin in the Giants? Do you see him staying or going? Oh, I I guess my – this is pure speculation, instinct, whatever you want to call it, but I sense 
pretty big changes there. I think it's, you know, when you have that six and nine season, and there have been multiple periods during the Coughlin era where they gave some thought to it and where fans certainly thought change needed to happen. And I think this is probably a pretty natural time for it. Look, Coughlin's an older coach. They're struggling to sort of put together things on both sides of the ball. Um, You know, you can say things about their GM where you look at what they've done since, say, the last Super Bowl run, and you think, I'm really starting to wonder what the direction of the team is. Is there, you know, is there really a cohesive plan? All that stuff that goes into a six and nine season. Um, and the way they've looked the past couple of seasons, I, I guess I sort of expect a full-on house cleaning there. Um, that, that probably doesn't include Eli, of course. You don't you don't just move on from franchise quarterbacks that easily in the year 2015. Um, but but I do think there's a decent chance that everybody's gone there. And, and if that's the case, to me, that's the primo job this offseason. The New York Giants is a great, great job, assuming you do a good job at it, of course. And nobody goes into these things thinking they're going to fail. Um, but you get support there. It's a place that people like Belichick talk about, you know, frequently with uh, with reverence. And I think that's going to be a job that, if it's open, is going to attract whoever, you know, your cluster of top candidates uh, would be. So, yeah, I think New York has a real good chance of being open. Um, I do want to just throw it back at you real quickly, KD. What if Johnny and Chip were both available to your boy Jerry? Absolutely not. There, there's, <laughs> there's no way in hell that Jerry Jones would hire Chip Kelly. First of all, he's not going to hire an egomaniac coach that hasn't proven his worth in the league. Uh, you know, he he went through At the whole thing not with again. they built. <laughs> well, the whole thing with Jimmy was starting off, he was, Jimmy was his handpicked guy. The only reason that he went with an egomaniac coach such as Bill Parcells was Parcells' proven track records at turning franchises right. around. No, I was really more he, he's talking not, about He's Jimmy. not going there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, if if and and honestly Jimmy Johnson has come out in support well prior to this year came out in support of Chip Kelly uh probably after reading one of several Peter King soliloquy soliloquies in honor of uh Chip Kelly's greatness and revolutionary style and smoothie and anyway. But yeah, Jimmy Johnson is a supporter of Chip Kelly, so just for that reason I'd say Jerry Jones isn't going to do it because Jimmy likes him. Uh but yeah, that that's a pretty scary thought. Um we in Cowboys Nation hope that the Cowboys go ahead and draft a quarterback uh, to be the, the heir apparent to Tony Romo. That's our quintessential hope uh, that one of these guys will emerge, whether it's Golf or Lynch or Wentz. Um, I'm sure in Cleveland you guys are having these exact same conversations about which one of these yep. guys is a true potential franchise guy. Um, we're in the same boat, and we're battling to see who's going to have the pick of the, the, pick of the litter because right now Tennessee is the number one draft pick. They don't need a quarterback, so that pretty much puts Cleveland and Dallas on the clock um, as Dallas is ahead of San Francisco. So it looks like our teams might be doing that whole Peyton Manning-Ryan Leaf thing, you know, battling to see which one gets the gets the great guy and which, which one gets the dub, the, the, the dub. So we're always intertwined between us and Cleveland, ever since that damn Brady Quinn thing. <laughs> oh, God. You must bring nightmares back to me. Yeah, you know, I look at that. I, I'm, I'm actually I'm here to surprised. Help. I'm surprised you're so confident they would take the quarterback that high. Dallas, I mean. Um, you know, I understand why they would, of course. You, you've got to start planning. Uh, but at the same time, man, it sure seems to me like that's a team that's close to being pretty darn good. Wouldn't you want somebody up top there who's going to instantly step in and help your team? Here's my point of view, and I've been arguing about it for the last three years. If Dallas had a young heir apparent as their backup quarterback this season, 
let's say a guy like, I don't know, Brock Osweiler or Derek Carr, is Dallas missing the playoffs this year? Probably not. Right. And that, right. That, that's what it comes down to for me. You you have retread backups that you're never going to win with long term. So why even waste the time? Put somebody young as the heir apparent in your system. If their time runs out before they get a chance to take the throne, trade them for future draft picks that you can use to put the next heir apparent in the system. It's really not rocket science when you're dealing with these lottery tickets that are the draft picks, but people make it out to be a lot more difficult than it needs to be. Just spend one resource. If he doesn't work out, spend another resource. Just keep doing it until you find the guy and until he can take the throne. Yeah, and you don't get up that high that often. So to me, there's a lot of logic there. I mean, you you talk about a team like the Steelers. That's how they ended up with Big Ben. They had their one down year, and they took a shot on it. and (laughs) That worked out pretty well for them, so, so I agree with you. Exactly. Now, moving on in the NFC, uh, we know that Green Bay and Minnesota are making the playoffs. Chicago just hired John Fox, but they're not going to make a move. You think Caldwell is, is making it to, to uh, 2016? I do. And I, I mean, I guess I think it mostly because of the way that the change to Jim Bob Cooter affected their offense and, and made them look like a pretty competitive football team. So, um, you know, you, you never know how those things are going to go. But usually when you make a tweak like that, it has the desired effect. Uh, continuity is the order of the day. Now, we, we have no idea uh, how the Ford family is going to handle this at this juncture. But um, but I would guess that, you know, you know, Caldwell strikes me as one of those guys who is, I mean, look, he's, he's never going to blow up on the sidelines and look like your emotional leader or any of that. And he probably doesn't strike too many people as, you know, necessarily a, a schematic innovator or whatever. But when you have people like Peyton Manning talking you up for years, and when you have, in my view, had some teams that played maybe even a little better than their rosters should have, um, I, and then the way this season ended for Detroit with them playing pretty strong football down down the stretch, I, I, I'd be pretty surprised if they made the change there. Now you've got the you've got the interesting issue of they've got a, a guy from Ford running their franchise, and if you're going to bring in a quote-unquote football person for that gig, well, now maybe that changes the equation some. But until I see that right. happen, I guess, I would expect some continuity to hold there in Detroit. I have no idea how this guy is still employed in the first place, but is Jeff Fisher making it to 2016? God, it sounds like it, and I'm with you. Uh, you know, the, obviously, the the you hate to be so personal about it because I have nothing against Jeff, Jeff Fisher, per se, and over the years there are a number of his teams I've really enjoyed, but um, but you can't run from the facts and that is that most NFL coaches don't get the kind of leeway he's gotten with the kind of records he's gotten. It has been largely right smack in the middle. It's not like he's a he's an overly winning coach. I think we've only had like six out of twenty one seasons be winning football and his team hasn't made the playoffs since, you know, almost a decade ago. So you do have to start to wonder when this when this, you know, this luck runs out or the ninth life is spent or whatever it's gonna be. Now with the Rams You've also got the added question of where they play next year. If they're moving to L.A., Fisher's a a USC alum. He's an L.A. You know, he basically grew up in Southern California. So I'd be hard-pressed to think they're going to fire him if they haven't already when they're moving to his homeland, you know. And and when he's a guy with with some some name cachet to him, whether he ought to have it or not. So, no, I think he he survives. I, I suppose you can imagine a world where they move to L.A. and, start fresh with everything. Um, but, no, I, I get the sense from, from St. Louis that that group is, is basically safe, both he and Les need as the GM. 
they got to bring Thomas Sula back for a second year, right? I mean, you can't just give him the job and then take it away the very next year, right? Knowing how gutted that roster is, he has to come back, right? Well, if uh, I mean, presumably you knew what you were getting when you put him in this year, right? I mean, he was not hired because the, I do not believe for one second that Jim Tomsula was hired because the Niners felt he was the next great NFL head coach. He was hired to be the cleaner. That's my firm belief. And by cleaner, I mean mm-hmm. he's the guy that's going to be there for as long as they need him to be there to take the hits um, for, for how bad things have gotten. And by hits, I mean he's the one that has to stand up there on Monday morning and answer Right, exactly. Why are you, are you losing every week, you know? And so I guess I think he'll be there. But on the other hand, you have to wonder, do they take an opportunity if they're interested in a guy like Kelly? I tend to doubt that. Um, you'll always hear the name Jim Mora associated with the Niners for whatever reason. There's history there. There's also um, mm-hmm. there are relationships there. I don't know why they would necessarily venture down that road, but you've heard it a lot. And, and obviously Mora's had some decent success there at UCLA, so his name comes up. But I mean, I, I, I sort of expect Tom's a little to be there, but here we are talking about all these jobs where I'm expecting people to stay, and it seems like every year come Black Monday, I'm surprised by one, two, sometimes even three openings. So I think the reasonable expectation is that I'm going to be wrong on some of these, and, and the Niners <laughs> might be one of those because they might just decide, look, um, we've we've gotten that year out of you. You know, you've sort of served your purpose. They've got Eric Mangini, a defensive coordinator, who's got head coach experience, and actually a lot of people mm-hmm. still think can coach. So I could see them doing that. Um, so to me, the Niners are sort of up in the air. But if I had to lay a bet, I'd, I'd say they give Tom Slow one more year. All right. The money name in the NFC is obviously Sean Payton with one year remaining on his mm-hmm. contract after 2015. Does New Orleans clean house and really do a rebuild? Or does Sean Payton get traded? Does Sean Payton say, you know what, I'm tired of this crap, let me out? How do you see New Orleans playing out? I tie it all together, organization, quarterback, and coach. So whatever the decision is, because you've started to see some things leaked this week about how the Saints think their lack of depth, their lack of roster talent has something to do with the big deal that Drew Brees got. And you know, to me, this is all setting up. Yeah, to me, this is all setting up for off-season stuff, right? Obviously. They'd love to have Drew Brees back at a certain price. That seems to me what they're saying. Um, so, and if they get Drew Brees back, I expect Sean Payton to be back. That's sort of my that that those are the things that I tie together. Payton is not going to want to go start over with some rookie quarterback if his option is to play one more season with Drew Brees and take a shot at a division where things seem to change pretty quickly from one season to the next. Um, I don't think the Saints are good enough to really put another Super Bowl-type run together in the Drew Brees window. And if they feel that way and they feel like, you know, prolonging the inevitable is the bad decision, then sure, they're going to end up cleaning house. Um, And if they clean house, I assume that Sean Payton will have his – I mean, the Giants' job would be Sean Payton's in about five minutes, I think. Oh, yeah, exactly. exactly. Unless you're going to tell me that Dallas would fire Jason Garrett to go get Sean Payton, which I know people talk about that all the time. But I, I don't have any reason to believe that that's true. I think the Giants' job would be his in a matter of seconds. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I tend to agree with you, and I am not looking forward to having to have Sean Payton in my division for the next decade. Um, let's switch over really quick before I let you go. Your conference, the AFC, I foresee one change per division. Uh, obviously, the, the last place team in each division, uh, San Diego, I can't see them sticking with Mike McCoy too much longer, but, of course, that whole move aspect comes into play. Tennessee has already fired their coach. 
Uh, we just discussed Mike Pettin and Cleveland, your team, and then the Miami Dolphins have already fired their coach. Uh, do you agree that those four openings will that those four openings will happen, or do you see anybody else being added to that fray? Possibly, I, I guess maybe Pagano in Indy. Yeah, that's that's the one I was going to bring up. I, you know, there's enough smoke out of Indianapolis that things just aren't you know you know all happy and and uh, cohesive there. Whether that's just a Grigson thing, whether that's the whole you know the whole batch of them. You've you know you've heard so many things this season with that group that I just have no idea what to expect. Uh, and when that happens, I tend to think some changes are coming. I mean, that, look, we can put it all on Andrew Luck being down for the year or whatever. But the fact of the matter is they went, you know, five and three or something like that in those first eight games after he was gone with right. Matt Hasselbeck out there. And so it's not like the cupboard's totally bare in Indianapolis. They can win football games. Um, but there's just been so much I don't know, turbulence around that team. Um, ever since both those guys got there, some of it, some of it football related and obviously some of it totally non football related with Pagano being out for the year and Arians, you know, to me, that throws a, a whole other question into that situation because Arians goes off and becomes this apparently phenomenal head coach in, in Indianapolis. Right. Still back there with pretty good coach in their own right, it appears, but people are, people are asking questions about it. So to me, that's the one I'd add that group. And as you go through them, I'll tell you, the Miami one is really interesting to me just because I lump them into the group of teams that just as organizations can't seem to quite get together. They tend to be quote unquote dysfunctional. I've never thought much of Mike Tannenbaum as a GM and there he is. And you wonder whether he would attempt to reunite with, uh, with his old boy man, Jeannie there. I don't know why Stephen Ross is going to do that. The name I keep hearing, um, you know, I, I keep an eye on Hugh Jackson for that job. That's, that's sort of my sense of things. Um, but but obviously mostly speculation. I do hear things from time to time to, from people that would know more than I do, but that's about as far as I can go with it. Uh, Jacksonville and Tennessee. Jacksonville, obviously, they're going to have uh, Gus Bradley back. Uh, I was just looking at the standings here as I go through it. Tennessee, to me, is the obvious landing spot for Chip Kelly, right? They've got Mariota. They've got some pieces in place to that they, they can actually do things with. Uh, in terms of right. that offensive system. And so, I, you know, I, I guess if I were handicapping Chip Kelly, I do think that there's a little too much convenience when Tennessee's job comes open a few weeks before the season ends, and then Chip Kelly is suddenly available a week before the season ends. And it just happens to be the job that Mariota's waiting for. So to me, that's that's the obvious landing spot. And until Chip Kelly is elsewhere, that or until somebody else is hired, that's kind of the marriage I expect to have happen there. You mentioned the Chargers. Uh, yeah, kind of similar to St. Louis in that regard. I don't know what to think about them. If they're moving, maybe there's a clean sweep, and maybe that includes Philip Rivers. I wouldn't be trading Philip Rivers, but I can see where if you're yeah. an organization and you're you're thinking you're starting over, maybe that's the way you go. You've got the pick up high. Maybe they feel that way. I I guess I would expect them to do it the way they did it last time when they had Drew Brees and they drafted Philip Rivers, and uh, and just have two quarterbacks on the roster and see what happens for a year or two. But um, yeah, I, I think Mike. My sense about it is maybe McCoy gets one more year uh, because they don't want to give up on Philip Rivers. But he's getting to the age where they got to start thinking about planning, just like you guys did with Romo. And uh, to me, that's that's sort of your question. If you're going to keep going with the present group of guys, then I don't see a whole lot of point in bringing in you know yet another system. Um, they, they've got big problems up front on both sides of the ball, and until you fix those, I don't think any coaching change is really going to matter there. So I guess my sense about it is they're not in a hurry to fire Mike McCoy. Um, but then again, 
there were people that thought he was going to get fired last year, so it's certainly a possibility. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, there it is. We have been handicapping the forthcoming coaching changes, or at least doing our best to handicap what we expect to happen with the one and only Mr. Ryan Burns. Mr. Burns, thank you so much for your time. Again, please, if you have any intelligence in your fingertips, type in twitter.com slash football sickness, F-T-B-L sickness, and make sure you're following him for all of the best insights on the National Football League in general. And if you enjoy a little bit of misery, follow him for his Cleveland Brown tweets because they will warm your heart. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Of course, we will be chopping it up with you as the offseason progresses as we move forward to, from really this year, the most exciting time of the season, the offseason. Yes, sir. Thanks, KD. I appreciate it, man. And have a happy new year. All right. Thanks to you, bud. When you hear that music warm up, it is time for the one and only Mr. Keith Mullins, a.k.a. at Keith Deuces on Twitter. Give him a follow. Mr. Mullins, how are you, sir? Outstanding in every way, sir. How are you? I have absolutely no complaints except for the fact. Well, honestly, I really don't have any complaints at this point because I'm numb to the fact that the Cowboys are having a bad season. I'm all in about getting this draft pick as high as possible. So not only can the Cowboys select their quarterback of the future in either the first or the second round, if anybody is left at that point, but also the fact that they'll have a high pick in every round, in addition to the compensatory picks that they have accrued based on last year's free agency uh, season. So I'm all in. Uh, The last time that me and you spoke, we were going over the needs of the team, and we reviewed all of the offensive positions and on a scale of 1 to 10. We gave everybody or every position a rating as far as how how uh, needy the Cowboys are for that for that position in the in either free agency or the draft. I'm getting a little bit tongue-tied, getting so excited about the offseason coming. <laughs> but let's turn that around and talk about the defense now, and we'll start with defensive end. Uh, we just got finished talking to uh, Mr. Ike, and he was very eloquently stating the case for his hope for the defensive pass rush moving forward based on how they did in the second half of the year. I myself am not sold as of yet that this is a elite or soon to be elite pass rush coming. So talk to me about on a scale of one to 10, what do you think the needs are at defensive end? And I guess that incorporates whether or not you think Greg Hardy is coming back. Yeah, I think, uh, and going to hear this multiple times as we cover the defense because of course expiring contracts are part of this picture as we look exactly. to 2016 and beyond but uh so i think the need at defensive end uh, revolves entirely around the status of greg hardy and i think that as you look at this season and you know there's no bigger demarcus lawrence fan than me um i certainly was was high on him coming out uh was was preaching patience on his development, and I'm as excited as can be about the production that he's realizing at this point uh, as far as Lawrence. But 
I think that in Greg Hardy, and you, you've mentioned on many occasions, they've already weathered the PR storm on Greg Hardy. Uh, mm-hmm. They weathered the finding his fit and how to behave, uh, <laughs> whether it was social media or anywhere else, sort of as he fit himself into the Cowboys. But at this point, Greg Hardy is still the only proven edge rushing threat on the Cowboys roster uh, because Lawrence, I, I can't call him proven yet. I appreciate his newfound production, but as quickly as you can turn a corner, you can find the next roadblock uh, in this league. So I, I think that Lawrence will continue to grow and continue to get better, but that's one side. On the other side, we have Randy Gregory, who was obviously set back by a high ankle sprain, and then has gone through all the trials and tribulations associated with being a rookie rusher in the NFL. And so we don't know on Gregory yet. We have high hopes. So to me, Greg Hardy is the most, the only established edge rusher on the Cowboys and the only consistent inside rushing threat on the Cowboys when they kick him down to an under tackle position in their nickel and dime packages. So I don't see how you can go into 2016 without re-signing Greg Hardy unless you intend to create a monstrous draft need. And as we sort of, as I sort of just touched on, rookies don't contribute in that area, right? <laughs> in pass rushing. Right. So you're actually creating probably a giant free agency need, and there's nothing more expensive in free agency relative to value than pass rushers. They certainly sit right up there with every, you know, with the money five positions. And maybe exactly. uh, maybe a top it in terms of what you get for return on investment in free agency. Um, we continually see top end pass rushers get signed for big money, and then have their production fall back from a career year to somewhere you know some median that they actually produce at on a regular basis. So um, to me, the Cowboys need to resign Greg Hardy. Doesn't mean they will, but uh, but I think they need to. I think they've caught at, at least a fortuitous bounce in that Hardy has been extremely disruptive and has demanded extreme attention from opposing offenses without coming in and getting 12 sacks in 12 games. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. And without, <laughs> those, without those numbers, I think you have a chance to get Greg Hardy at least at a rate cheaper than you probably paid this year. You may not get the game-by-game structure that they got this year that was so team-friendly, but now that that risk is mitigated to some degree – and he's essentially behaved for several weeks, which uh, will take baby steps, right? Uh, but right, exactly. at that point with Greg Hardy, I do think that in terms of the annual rate, you can probably get him cheaper than what they paid this year. So can you get Greg Hardy for $8 million a year? Um, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, certainly south of 10 I think you probably can because his market is still limited by the fact that any other team that signs him has to hear a broadcast team talk about and a local beat you know, media contingent, talk about all of his past transgressions and his history in the NFL. Every single right. time. And, and anybody, that's, anybody that signs Greg Hardy has to do with their local Dale Hansen going on whatever rant he would go on uh, and all of the things that the Cowboys have obviously gone through. My question in regards to that is, what's Greg Hardy going to do when he doesn't have to show up at the football facility for the next four days? And I'm playing devil's advocate here because I completely agree with you. Uh, obviously you, you mentioned it. I was one of the first to say they've already weathered the PR storm, but Greg Hardy kind of made it obvious that he could go unhinged at any moment. So can he spend the next three months without having to show up at Valley ranch every day for practice 
without saying something stupid on social media, without ruffling feathers uh, while he's waiting to get this next contract. And then there's still the concern, if you give him a long-term contract, what happens once he feels secure in his money again? Uh, so these are all things that Dallas has to weigh. Uh, but I agree with you. They, there's no way that they can go into the draft season without having a proven pass rushing force at defensive end. So in that light, what kind of number do you put on the need at the position? Uh, let's assume that they yeah. re-sign Hardy. What number would you put on it? And actually, I, I think that even if we look at it without assuming that they re-sign Hardy, a nine on the position. Uh, re-signing mm-hmm. Hardy takes that away. Um, but if they don't re-sign Greg Hardy, they have to go get a defensive end in free agency or the draft. And I don't just mean in the draft, but I mean a premium pick, right? Um, right. It suddenly brings defensive ends into play in the top ten, brings defensive ends into play in the second round. Um, you know, I, I tend to believe that Bosa will be gone, and that's Joey Bosa, and we'll get into all these picks. But if everyone's pretty familiar with the Ohio State defensive end, that is a consensus top defensive end in this group. Um I don't think he'll probably be there even if they're picking fourth, uh, but because there's just such a premium on rushers. But I expect Bosa will struggle like every other rookie rusher. So I'll call it a nine, but but re-signing Hardy uh, obviously satisfies that need for me as well and pushes it way down in the draft. Uh, so if you're going to have to chase it in free agency, there is a devil you know aspect to Greg Hardy. And one side of the coin that doesn't get mentioned very often is that Greg Hardy has now – since he settled into Dallas, been pretty active in the community. Um, he, mm-hmm. he did gift giveaways and lots of public appearances and those kinds of things. Um, you know, you could argue that those things are orchestrated because he has a contract that's inspiring, and that would be fine community in terms of, uh, you know, and giving back to fans and to, and not just fans, but to uh, local folks. So there is another side to Greg Hardy, and I think that, uh, We've seen both sides in his time here already. So, uh, to me, I think they need to resign Greg. Um, and you know that I didn't that I didn't advocate bringing him in in the first place because I wouldn't have wanted to weather the media storm that happened. But he's here now, and in terms of a purely on football, on the football field type of perspective, they have to have a proven rusher. Um, and I don't even think that taking one in the top ten of the draft satisfies that, because we know what they produce. So. If you think you're going on a run, if you think you're a contending team, I don't think you can part with it, and I think that Greg Hardy will be a priority to re-sign for the Cowboys. All right, let's just focus inside as the Cowboys. Uh, David Irving, uh, for all the hope that he gave as a Will McClay discovery again, uh, his numbers weren't obviously that great this season. Jerome Crawford, who's struggling with a bad shoulder, has yet to be able to put together the type of season uh, that makes you feel secure in a three-tech, the caliber of which Rod Marinelli would like. Um, Jason Hatcher obviously had 11 sacks in his final year in Dallas. We know what Warren Sapp did in uh, Tampa, uh, Henry Melton in Chicago, so on and so forth. Crawford hasn't ascended to that point yet, so what would you put as the need level of defensive tackle, uh, including both one and three tech? Um, you know, I think, I think I'd put it at a five. I think that they're going, I think they'll add one. Um, obviously Hayden is a contract they have to address. Cowboys like Nick Hayden a lot more than fans do. And, and I mean, you know, a lot talking, more, a lot more. And even in talking to his line mate though, in Crawford, 
um, you know, we discussed this and sort of some of the grief uh, that Hayden takes from fans. And Crawford explained that when they grade out games, that Nick Hayden grades very high. Uh, and, you know, fans want to see anyone on the defensive line, especially a defense that uh, is is at least as opposed to blitzing as the Cowboys historically are. Uh, people want to see those guys produce something in a pass rush, and Nick Hayden isn't going to do that. But Crawford talked about Hayden being so assignment sound in the run game. Um, you know, we'll see when they grade this year. But I, I think they'll go out and acquire one. But if a one technique is what you need, we know that this club doesn't value that at the top of the draft. And you could probably even get serviceable one techniques um, in the mid-level free agent range that they've been uh, more apt to sign the last several years. So I'll put it at a five. I think they add one. I think they still feel very good about Crawford. Um, at least you have to be encouraged by his toughness. Uh, from what I understand, the injury is, is certainly one that isn't comfortable uh, that he's been entertaining right. these last few weeks. And he still has gone out there and battled and, uh, and been disruptive. But – but finishing sacks has been an issue, and and as we've we've talked about this before, a pressure potentially increase your chance for a successful outcome if you get a quarterback pressure. But the offense lives to fight another day and another down, and so they could convert for a first down on the next play. They could you know they could complete that play. You can get a pressure and a completion can happen on the same play or a touchdown pass. Uh, a sack is a drive killer. And so you want to see someone that can finish, especially at that three-technique position. So I think they'll look at it. I don't, I don't necessarily foresee a premium-level free agent or a high draft pick being spent there because I think there are other positions and some that fall among that money five that I think the Cowboys will address first. And again, for our listeners that aren't familiar with it, money five is a term that I came up with uh, a few years ago that deals with basically the five most expensive positions in the NFL, uh, the positions that warrant the most attention. And that's obviously quarterback, uh, wide receiver, left tackle, uh, pass rushing, edge rusher, and uh, then the cornerback. So those are the five premier positions in the NFL. We call them the money five. Uh, my man Bravo calls it positions of great import. Either way you slice it, those are the key positions that get paid the most in the NFL and are the most highly coveted when it comes to the draft season. Uh, let's move backwards a level. And of course, we're chopping it up here with the one and only Keith Mullins. Let's move backwards a level. Um, I am going to put it out there that I do not think that the Cowboys are going to extend an offer to Rolando McClain of any importance, maybe something along the lines of what he received this year late in free agency. Uh, but I believe they will once again see what they can do out there. Um, I wasn't at all enamored with the Jasper Brinkley pick. We all saw what happened there. Or not pick, but the uh, the Jasper Brinkley uh, free agency fill. Uh, that they did before they resigned McLean. They drafted Damon Wilson on the heels of drafting Anthony Hitchens last year. So all in all, what do you see as a ranking, a number level that you would assign the need at linebacker for the Cowboys? I would put an eight on linebacker. Um, mm. So obviously Sean Lee has been superlative and what you expect of Sean Lee when he's been healthy. Um, again, he struggled with uh, with injury and, and the concussion this year. So um, you don't know how many games you get out of Sean Lee. Uh, but I totally agree on McLean. I think that, uh, that that experiment has run its course. My question at linebacker, and, and I mentioned that free agency will matter greatly in some of these positions. McLean leaving creates a hole at Mike linebacker. 
the Cowboys mm-hmm. have quite a collection of what they perceive at least as will linebacker types. So and and so I think in terms of linebacker, if you take McLean out of the equation, your three most promising linebackers are Sean Lee, Anthony Hitchens, and Damian Wilson, who at least you spent draft capital on, although he's been relegated to special teams this season. And they see all three of those guys as will linebackers. Now, they play most of the game with only two, and so those guys need to be coverage sound, and I don't know how they feel about Hitchens there, but that's probably not the strongest point of his game. But uh, So you have the opportunity. If the Cowboys acquired nobody, they could move Sean Lee back to Mike. Right. Hitchens backs him up there, and they can start Hitchens at will, or does Damian Wilson ascend up the depth chart in this offseason and become a factor at will linebacker, which is – uh, again, I believe where they perceive his value. I think you have to add one via the draft. It could be another spot where, like Gatchkar and Brinkley, who didn't work out, but Gatchkar has, at least as a core special teamer and spot uh, spot help in the lineup. I think that you could see another mid-level type free agent in the linebacking core, but, uh, but I think that certainly in the draft at some point, if it's not at the top, I think you'll see a linebacker added. And as we get into these picks – Linebacker is one of the spots where I think that the Cowboys could go theoretically in the top 10 because there's some yes. there's great talent in this linebacker class for sure, both inside Very and strong. outside. Very strong. And, of course, obviously the, the top guy is Miles Jack. Uh, well, depending on, on your point of view, Miles Jack and Jalen Smith, uh, Jack out of UCLA and Smith out of, out of Notre Dame are probably the one-two guys at linebacker position and would look very nice in the defense next to Sean Lee, I must say. Uh, so I, I kind of concur with you as far as putting an eight on, on that need. Um, there will even be some guys later on, uh, maybe even down to the possible top of the second round, uh, Ragland. Um, and there's another guy that's slipping my mind right now. Um, who's the fourth guy, Keith? Uh, Darren Lee. Ohio State. There you go. He's one. There you go. There and, you go. Uh, and so, but, and, and there are others uh, that we're still waiting to hear on whether or not they declare, of course, as we get into it. But uh, as a pure Mike linebacker, um, I like very much uh, Kendall Beckwith at, at LSU, who folks got to see last mm-hmm. night if they uh, were watching that bowl game. And so, uh, so yeah, there's, it's a, it's a really good group. And we talk, as we get into this, we'll talk about capitalizing on strong position groups in the draft and, and the opportunity to take those guys and maybe get a real talent, not necessarily for um, as high an investment as you would if it wasn't as deep as a group as it is. So uh, I think linebacker is a place where this class will shine once they've all declared. And, uh, and certainly it's a place I think the Cowboys have to add at least a player. Well, before we move on to the secondary, let's touch on that very quickly, uh, because I, I believe we share the same philosophy when it comes to going into the draft. If there's a position that you need, and the Cowboys need a multitude of positions in this draft, the positions that have the least amount of talent are kind of the ones that you want to grab early, whereas you can wait for the rush at other positions and get them in the middle round and still get a guy that has upper-level talent simply because other teams with those similar needs have already filled them. So a guy that you might have rated as a second rounder could possibly fall to the end of the third or even the fourth round based on the fact that there are so many guys that have a positive rating in a deep position group. Are you, are you of the same mindset? Absolutely. So if, if you stack 150 players on your board and 20 of them are linebackers, then you know that you probably have a chance of getting linebackers throughout any round that you think are, are guys that are, have a draftable grade, right. That have a chance to contribute. And so I think that exactly when you see, when you're facing a deep group, 
do you and let's talk about where the Cowboys are right this second. If you have a top five pick, do you really spend that on an off ball linebacker, which actually typically is a slightly devalued position when you know that you can get one in rounds two and three? Um, it makes it less likely, in my opinion. And we've seen this team actually follow that methodology to a degree when they're when they're faced yes. with a very deep position group in the draft. And that's why uh, that's kind of my contention for the guy for people that say the Cowboys would never draft a quarterback that high. Well, they kind of have to draft a quarterback, and depending on how you view, you know, the other guys. Uh, and for me, Connor Cook is the other guy. It's Golf, Lynch, and Wentz, and then Connor Cook. Um, you know, before you get to guys like Hackenberg and, and the rest of the class uh, that could possibly be declaring. Uh, but, yeah, you kind of have to go early if you're going to take a quarterback or you're not going to take one at all. So that that's kind of my contention for, for guys that say you want to do something else. Wide receiver, it seems, is always from here until eternity going to be a deep position, as I think we've seen a transition over the last five to ten years as the best athletes are really going to the wide receiver position uh, in, in high school and college, uh, which is why we have such an immense amount of, uh, of top quality guys that are infiltrating the ranks in, in, in the pros right now, because that's kind of been the shift that back in the day, the best, the best athletes, I guess you could say would have been running backs, but running backs don't get paid and running backs don't last. So if I'm coaching a kid who's anywhere around six, two, or, you know, six foot or above that has that kind of talent. I'm teaching them to catch it as opposed to being able to, to dissect the hole because the money for wide receiver there and the opportunity is there at a much greater rate for a longer career. Uh, so I, I think we're seeing that as far as the depth, which we kind of touched on two weeks ago when we were talking about the Cowboys and the possible pick of Laquan Treadwell. He's an elite guy, but there will be many other wide receivers that could – serve the purpose of what the Cowboys are looking for to fill that position, um, you know, as they prepare to move on, eventually move on from Terrence Williams. Yeah, and, and not and not to get sidetracked back to the offense, but that's exactly the example, is that if you're looking for a complementary wide receiver, and especially one uh, to play the Z, which has different responsibilities and a different ideal type opposite Dez, who's an X wide receiver uh, in in terminology that's persisted for 20 years, right? Uh, then do you want a guy that's a carbon copy of Dez, or, or is there a better compliment out there that can be had in the second, third, or even fourth round? So uh, agree completely. And, and as folks that follow me on Twitter have seen quarterback, it's another example where I've said, if you're not taking one of the top three, which might extend your first pick at the top of the second round, but probably all three go in the first round. If you're not taking one of those guys. I'd rather you didn't take a quarterback in this draft because I don't think this class warrants it. And I'm shopping for a lot better than a quarterback two or pretty good or serviceable starter, right? This is, this is a team that, as they look toward the future, needs to be shopping in the franchise quarterback bin. And it's a, it's a exactly. slimmer group, especially in this class. It definitely is. All right, before I let you go, let's tackle this secondary. We uh, obviously know that the Cowboys have – put Byron Jones, at least at this point, at free safety uh, on a semi-permanent basis. That's the way that we're going to close out the season is seeing him back there. I believe he has hit a bit of a rookie wall, but I have no doubt that he is everything that we have seen flashes of throughout the season and hoped he was going to be uh, entering the draft season and then once the Cowboys picked him. So we know where he stands. We know that the Cowboys are getting back Orlando Scandrick. 
and we assume that his recovery from ACL will mirror the recovery of other players of recent lore and that he will be back to full speed and full strength uh, for the upcoming season. But outside of that, the Cowboys have nothing but question marks in the secondary. Uh, we don't know whether Mo is going to return. We don't know whether they'll keep Brandon Carr, if he'll take a pay cut or just be released outright. Uh, the young guys, um, Olatoye, am I, I'm butchering his name. It's not, it is Olatoye. Yeah, Olatoye and, um, Terrence, and Terrence Mitchell have interceptions in back-to-back games. Uh, so there's a little bit of hope there, but there was a little bit of hope about Tyler Patman. There was a little bit of hope about Sterling Moore, and we all see how that works out in the subsequent years after you see a flash. I have to imagine that the secondary is at DEFCON, whatever, DEFCON 1, DEFCON 5, which one is it? One is the worst, right? Yeah, yeah DEFCON uh, 1. It, you have to imagine that the, that, the sec- that the secondary is at DEFCON 1 right now, correct? Yeah, all the, uh, all the uh, alarm lights on the dashboard or going off when it comes to the secondary. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's no doubt that, uh, that definitely it has to have uh, everyone's attention um, from the front office through the scouting department and, uh, and all the way down to the secondary coach who many folks have, uh, have targeted for, uh, for dismissal uh, based on the development of some of the folks in the secondary. But, but there, there haven't been a lot of great investments there either. Uh, and so when you see you know, <laughs> talent matters, right? So when you see a significant investment in the secondary, first round pick at cornerback, not surprising, he plays very well. And uh, and I think that I think folks have a little bit of a misconception that Byron Jones hasn't been good at cornerback, and uh, and he has he, he made a couple of plays, and uh, and I certainly think that. You know, they piled a ton of responsibility on him, and while we've lauded him for that most of the season in terms of his ability to have interchangeable responsibilities, uh, we have seen not athleticism breakdowns from him ever, but uh, technique breakdown at a couple of times, um, one of which was corner and, you know, and play famously he, a long touchdown that folks wanted to pin on him. He was in cover two, but the one thing you can't do there by alignment is give someone an outside release. And he did. And he took that upon it to credit his maturity. He took that upon himself immediately and, and, and took responsibility for, for being misaligned um, by his own choice. So, so that was, so I think that Jones has been great. I think most of what we loved that we've seen from him has been in man coverage. And to that degree, he still is sort of a Swiss army knife in the secondary where you can use him as an eraser to take a weapon away from the offense, um, right. which to me, it gives you the flexibility that if the Cowboys failed to add cornerback help, he could still be a starting cornerback. Um, right. But, uh, but I think, I think that overwhelmingly the club has shown that given, given a true free safety being uh, such a unicorn, and he's one that you can ask to do more things than you can a lot of safeties because you can use him in man coverage on a wide receiver. So, uh, so I think overwhelmingly they've shown they want to use him at safety going forward, which puts safety still as a big position of need because I think that uh, Barry Church been a sound tackler, and that has slipped to some degree. Uh, yes, I don't think he's not been some terrible degree, this to season. immense degree. <laughs> yeah, he he has had trouble getting people on the ground, which has been a consistent theme throughout the Cowboys secondary, um, and so. I think, and I think he's always been imminently upgradable in terms of coverage, uh, uh, coverage liability. So, 
could you go to Sundays with some combination of the guys under contract and J.J. Wilcox and Barry Church sharing strong safety and Byron Jones at free? You could. And Byron Jones, given his uh, exemplary range, he's going to cover up some of the liabilities of your other pair that you trot out at strong safety. But I think that strong safety is an easy one to uh, to upgrade. And I think that that type of safety, if, if you're going to play him closer to the line of scrimmage most of the time, that type of guy is more available throughout the draft than the true free safety that can hold up in single high coverage and range from sideline to sideline. So right. I think it's a position I, – I think that that is a, a position where – and you have choices because when you look at the free agency list, there are safeties on that list. We'll see how many become free, but you'll have names that people recognize like from San Diego and, uh, and Eric Berry from Kansas City. And so not all of those guys are going to actually see the market once it opens, but, uh, but there are free agency options there. And the Cowboys need so many numbers between safety and cornerback. Um, you know, we, we talked about the Cowboys went into this season with two safeties and two special teamers. And they kind of end the season with one safety and three special teamers is kind of <laughs> essentially how it looks like they, uh, they wrap this thing up. So I think that, uh, just given the sheer numbers they need at safety and quarterback, I think you have to address it with a combination of free agency and the draft. So I, I expect the secondary to be a big priority. Um, at corner, uh, free agency factors in again. Um, as we know, Mo Claiborne is unrestricted. Uh, he actually made comments that sort of flew in the face of what we've been hearing, which is that he might prefer a fresh slate somewhere else and said that he'd rather remain a cowboy. Um, I don't know if the Cowboys are as committed to him remaining a Cowboy <laughs> as maybe his newfound commitment to that ideal. But, uh, <laughs> but so, well, I mean, and with Mo, he played better, right, than we've seen in, at any time during his tenure as a Cowboy. But he still missed games because he has a certain frailty to his uh, – uh, or just an abundance of bad luck, but it doesn't really matter which one's the culprit, right? Uh, he right. misses games due to injury. And he doesn't touch footballs, which when the Cowboys moved up to get Mo Claiborne, it was specifically because of his ball skills. He had good man-to-man skills, but that guy made plays on footballs at LSU. And for whatever reason, he's willing to concede catches uh, before he'll break on footballs. And that failure to create turnovers uh, hurt this team mightily, right? Uh, We talked about how teams that win when they've got a backup quarterback starting over a small sample size, well, they oftentimes get turnovers. They give the offense extra chances and, uh, and make up for being less efficient offensively. Uh, this team give, gave their backup quarterbacks almost no extra chances and almost zero decent field position by way of turnovers. So I think that I can deal with a little more risk in my life as it comes to uh, secondary players by, by having some guys that are willing to, uh, to make a break on a football, drive on a ball, and, uh, and try and make a big play from time to time. So, and then the next one that will obviously be a big topic of discussion is Brandon Carr. The Cowboys are covered. If they want to go into next season and have Scandrick and Carr as their starting corners, Carr's under contract, and that's all well and good. Carr's owed over $13 million uh, in terms of cap hit next year. Cap space, and certainly, exactly. And there's another guy that doesn't touch footballs. And so while Carr plays – pretty well in man coverage and when he's in phase with a receiver and gives no space 
He doesn't even get targeted, and everything is all well and good. But I think that Brandon Carr is a guy at this point in his career that can play one coverage for you, which, and we talked about this before the season even started. He can play man, press man, but if you ask him to play off or if you ask him to play zone, he gets into trouble. Um, not only does he give up catches, but then he oftentimes arrives late and out of control and doesn't get receivers on the ground, and it results in big plays. So um, to me, I think that you could at least get a replacement-level player for the six-plus million dollars you save by releasing Brandon Carr. So we know that the Cowboys at least entertained the idea of a pay cut for Carr last year, but Carr's agent, uh, Ben Dogra, and, uh, and Carr himself weren't willing to, uh, to have that discussion at all because they had a position of leverage on the Cowboys. Well, their leverage is only greater this year. So to me, this doesn't become a discussion at all of a pay cut because Carr's position is even stronger with the need the Cowboys have there. So to me, it's just a decision of whether or not it's a release or they carry him into the season and pay out that monstrous cap number. Personally, I would be looking to address the position in the draft and free agency. And, uh, and you'll, you will hear names at cornerback like Tremaine Johnson from the Rams. Uh, one I'm already seeing, um, a young man that played at Montana. I think he's got five picks this year. Uh, he's tall, very long, uh, certainly fits the Cowboys mold for people. They like to play against bigger, uh, wide receiver one types. And, uh, and so he's the type of guy that, you know, I think he made, somewhere in the order of a million and a half this year, and is going to be looking at a substantial raise in free agency, but he's not going to get Josh Norman money. So, it, you know, the Cowboys will have to decide where to spend. But I think that you'll see draft picks at corner, and I expect that there will also be a veteran free agent added there as well. And there it is, the one and only Mr. Keith Mullins giving you the insight on the Cowboys and their defensive needs for the upcoming offseason. My man, Mr. Mullins, we have finally arrived uh, there's not even a, any real reason to preview the Week 17 game against the Redskins. We are in full off-season mode, and that means that next week, starting next week, we can start discussing in depth the potential players that could fill the Cowboys roster in 2016. I know you're excited. It's your favorite time of the year. Honestly, it's my favorite time of the year as well. The games are nice and all, but why pay attention to games when you can build an empire? That's the way I see it. Football Christmas fast approaches, brother. There it goes. My man, Mr. Mullen, thank you for joining us, and we are going to chop it up again real soon with you. Always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right, man. And with that, we have reached the conclusion of an epic Cowboys crunch time with KD. I want to thank all of our guests, uh, Mr. Ryan Burns, Joey Ikes, Keith Mullins, and of course, Mike Fisher for joining us here on the show. Most importantly, I want to thank you fans, our listeners, for sticking with us through another season of Cowboys football. Obviously, we're excited to be talking about the offseason and how the Cowboys can look to improve on this lost campaign. There is hope. This Cowboys team is not one of these bottom feeders that we're used to talking about with low regard for their future chances. Expect a bounce back, and it all starts on Monday. That's it here, Cowboys Crunch Time. Once again, thank you. Follow me on Twitter at KD Drummond NFL. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search Cowboys Crunch Time. And that's it. We're out of here. Happy New Year, everybody. Salute.
just a moment ago. I was up so high, looking down at the sky. Don't let me fall. I was shooting for stars on a Saturday night. They say what goes up must come down, but don't let me fall. Shoot that they can make for this. Cause I put my pain, my heart, my soul, my faith in this. Does anyone feel like how I feel? Then you can relate to this. A display of this. Maybe roll one up, then take a hit. Close to the good life, then take a sip. Vacay every day, yeah, take a trip. It's easy to see I was made for this. From the womb all the way to the grave, spit. Just to show y'all niggas what greatness is. Yeah, I'm talking very lucid. Like making movies. To picture my life, boy, you need a higher resolution. I used to cut class in the day, then run away at night. But now I'm ruler of the upper class and I don't it even write. just a dream, just a moment ago. I was up so high, looking down at the sky. Don't let me fall. I was shooting for stars on a Saturday night. They say what goes up must come down, but don't let me fall. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.